Hello and thank you for tuning in to the third episode of Alternative Frequencies. My name is Nadim Elkak and I'm joined today by social psychologist Carol Abirane, who is a research manager and communication specialist at LCPS. Hi Carol, how are you? Hi Nadim, I'm good, thank you. So can you t- start by telling us a bit about yourself, your background, what you've been working on in recent years? Yes, uh, so as you mentioned, my name is Carol. I've uh, been working in the field of social psychology and psychology in general for a few years now. Um, recently at SCPS, I've been handling uh, what we have as a youth project, which is implemented in both Lebanon and Tunisia. And the youth project aims to tap into several different things, one of which or three of which are the following. One, The first one is unpacking the youth identities and understanding the different clusters under which the youth can fall, uh, because we don't believe that uh, the youth can be just categorized according to the age. Um, The second thing would be that we are also looking at the youth uh, goals, ambitions, desires, and leaderships uh, that would then give us some information on how do the youth navigate the economic world and find jobs and secure their own future. Nice. So yeah, that's exactly our topic for today, Lebanon's youth. So we know that the Lebanese youth are facing unprecedented challenges today that arguably no other generation has had to go through before. So from the complete collapse of the economy to the circumstances that were engendered by the pandemic, the political Mm -hmm. instability and the increasingly precarious global neoliberal landscape. So there's a lot to discuss regarding the category of the youth. On the one hand, they or actually we uh, are perceived by society as the hope for the future or Uh, And on the other hand, we're also a burden that needs to be supported, trained, educated, integrated into the economy and so on. So as you've mentioned, you've been coordinating a project on the youth in Lebanon and in Tunisia. So I'm guessing you have a lot to share with us on these topics. And before we get into all of the details about the youth, their ambitions and challenges, um, I'd like us to talk about youth identities a little bit. So who are the youth really? How does society and the state perceive them and how do they see themselves? So that's an interesting question and basically it triggers a lot of discussions and conversations and it almost seems like there is no consensus about who the youth are. And uh, as researchers, we don't perceive the youth as a monolithic group. For starters, we believe that they, you know, most people actually categorize the youth based on the age bracket. And so this can fluctuate between 18 to 25 or 18 to 29, some even go up to 35. And there's really no stable factor that they are using to actually introduce this and to convince us of why would that person be considered a youth member and not the other because of that one year difference. What is really benchmarking this entire thing? So uh, we also think that this age group 18 to 29 is, is too large, too reductionist to the actual contribution of the youth in society or amongst themselves. So when we ask this ourselves, this question, um, we decided that for the sake of simplicity, we will categorize the youth from 18 to 24, and another group would be from 25 to 29. And we basically conducted workshops in Tripoli, Beirut, and Zahli with a small sample of participants to ask them the question of who they are. And to get more information on the conflicting views uh, about the youth. So... Here's what we found. From a conventional and societal standpoint, there are conflicting views. The youth are, as you said, either perceived to be both the future, to be the future of society, but they're also considered the biggest burden because they are also the biggest chunk of the population that is currently undergoing an educational process. And so they have 
limited uh, offer in mm-hmm. terms of the market, how they can contribute to it. They're considered as consumers. And right. this is why they are a burden to society on some levels or the economy for that matter. They are in not independent countries. yet. In They're the not independent fully, at yeah. least, on certain things, which yeah. are which feed into how the system operates and what works and what doesn't. So uh, on one hand, you know, the young individuals that have yet to become adults, when you ask them, who are you? They struggle to answer the question. And this tells you something. It tells you that this population is not being asked who they are. And so when we started reflecting with them in the workshops to answer this question of who am I, you start to realize that the way the youth self-identify they use different factors than what researchers, stakeholders, NGO workers, even the government uses to categorize them as youth. And so it doesn't resonate all the time. So they use terminologies, specifically the ones that are under 25. They use characteristic traits or traits for their personalities. They call themselves youthful, not a member of the youth. Mm-hmm. It's not a clear-cut category that they go into. Mm-hmm. Even those that, are, that were nearing 30 could still consider themselves as young individuals or youth when we asked them because they benchmarked it based on the generosity that they have or the energy or the fact that they have good health or the fact that they still have some hopes or dreams or ability to actually infiltrate the economic market. Mm-hmm. They are not obsolete yet. So um, there is some sort of rejection, at least with the participants that we had sampled in Beirut. There was some sort of rejection towards the concept of youth, but this, is, this was coming after, discuss, after the discussions were, were done. We realized that one contributing factor as to this rejection of this identity could be linked to the fact that in Beirut, the youth are considered a bit more spoiled, uh, maybe more entitled, you know, have more opportunities, uh, they can be considered a bit reckless, or we can see this maybe in the city more because you have more interactions, you know, there's close proximity with other groups, there are a lot of different universities, uh, a lot of interactions Mm. within the youth uh, categories and outside of them. And adults that have stable jobs right now that have had a different youthful experience 20 years ago look down on the youth of today on mm-hmm. some level and they are the ones that consider them to be reckless or you know not focused enough or not disciplined enough or do not have the ability to sit on a desk from nine to five mm-hmm. or whatnot so all of these things are things that the youth internalize mm-hmm. because there's something that we call identity negotiation so basically we interact with others to create an identity and this is what is called identity negotiation This process develops a consistent set of behaviors that reinforce the identity of the person or the group itself. And this behavior then becomes what we call social expectations. Mm -hmm. And so if the youth are operating at this very delicate and sensitive age within those social expectations, then this identity negotiation happens also on a collective level. And so the entire youth population would be internalizing and actualizing certain norms that are not their their own. So I'd like to touch back on the point you made about the youth specifically in Beirut rejecting that category. Mm-hmm. Um, this rejection, does it come from because of the like negative perception that society or adults have of the youth? Or is it something that's more uh, context specific within Lebanon? Uh, how do you explain this uh, lack of uh, identification with this category mm-hmm. or at least trying to move away from it? 
So there are there are three mental processes that are involved when we're trying to evaluate two different groups. One that you belong to, which is the us or the we, and one that we do not belong to, which is the them or they. And basically, these three go in a certain order, which is social categorization, and then you go for social identification, and then you do some sort of social comparison. So on the first level, we categorize people. This, uh, this, is, this is done in order to understand and define the social environment. So we use categories like Arab, like Christian, like Muslim, like student, like woman or man, because these are useful to be able to separate ourselves as individuals from other individuals. The second stage would be social identification, where, whereby we adopt the identity of a group that we have categorized ourselves as belonging to. So if, for example, you have categorized yourself as a student, there will be an emotional significance to your connection to the group of students, and your self-esteem will also be bounded up with group membership. The final stage is social comparison. So once you have categorized yourself as part of a group and you've identified with that group, then you will tend to compare that group with other groups. So if, if we are to belong to a group that resonates with us, then we have to accept the qualities that it gives us. If you feel that at some point someone is telling you or describing you as something that you are not, you will reject that and you will compare yourself that we come from different standpoints, therefore this person cannot box me right. and decide for me who I am. And in Beirut, there is that you know level up type of one step further, which mm-hmm. is there are a bit more opportunities here, there is more privilege here for these youth to be exposed to different subcultures. And so they have more freedom and flexibility to be um, diverse Mm-hmm. and what they accept as their identity. So there are very implicit and small changes within them. Again, the, the participant pool was quite small, so we can't make leaping generalizations. But these were coming from a very qualitative, in-depth analysis of what was happening over a few days of workshops. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I guess my next question that still revolves around the findings from this project that you've been working on mm-hmm. Um, has to do more with the goals and ambitions of the youth. So what did you find from those workshops that you organized? How did made those goals and ambitions that youth shared evolve with time or across different age groups? Was there any significance in regional variations or others? What did you find when really trying to tap into um, those aspirations Mm -hmm. that the youth uh, express? In terms of the goals and ambitions, we did see uh, age being a factor of how how close the youth are to achieving those goals when we ask them to assess based on the resources that they have, whether they are personal attributes, physical attributes, uh, regional location or whatnot, how, what helps them reach their goals that they have set for themselves. And then when we ask them to assess how far along from zero to 100, 100 being the closest, how far along are you from reaching this goal when you actually benchmark the factors that contribute either hinder or facilitate you achieving your aspirations. And we did find an interesting, very romanticized, lyrical idea. It's more of a metaphor, not really something that we can find, you know, ground, yeah, Yeah. tangible, it's not very tangible. But we found that for those that are under 25, there's the dreamy, feely, sentimental, romantic effect that comes with, you know, being fresh, right? You're still 
you know, you're 18, you're 19, you're starting to go out of a certain environment that you've been used to, which is school in most cases, or you're coming out of your shell and you're starting to get integrated into the labor market. And, you know, it's kind of like they haven't really seen everything. They haven't yet comprehended the the challenges that are coming up ahead. And their immediate challenges would be, you know, to finish their degree right now and then to get a stable job and then to get um, health insurance or to get a pension plan and get married and have kids. Or in other situations, it would be, I want to finish my education and I want to buy a house and I, or I want to travel or I want to start my own business. So it feels like they're very well thought out ideas, but it's almost like they don't feel fit with the limitations up ahead that they are mm-hmm. yet to be aware of. Right. So there is this romanticizing feel that the ones that are under 25 kind of express more in the workshops. Those that are over 25 seemed a bit more realistic and grounded. They still had the ambitions of, let's say, if they are 28 and have not started a family and their ambition mm. is to start a family, they would still denote this as their main ambition right now. But they would they would know what type of resources they do not have. Right. So there is this type of helplessness that is paired with a certain realism and pragmatism about what they can achieve. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, this doesn't stop them from dreaming. Right. In some cases, there were a lot of people that struggled with being able to do this exercise because they see it at face value that mm-hmm. in within the capacity that they have and with the with the opportunities that they might have, they might never reach their goal right. in a way. So from what I understand, those the ones under 25, and the ones over 25 may have similar goals ultimately, but yes. the way they present them may vary. So the ones that are older, you may um, uh, perceive this sense of realism saying, for example, I want to start a family, but I know that I can't afford exactly. X or Y. So that means that maybe I can't have as many children as I would exactly. like or something like that. Exactly. Right? So there's always kind of like compromise. So alongside mm-hmm. of negotiating your identity for that entire 10 year or 12 year age gap that we're giving the youth, you're adding another layer to the struggle, which is you're also teaching them or imposing on them the fact that you cannot set out your goals and reach all of them. And you have to be aware of that. And it almost feels like it's part of the process. Mm -hmm. So when we would have one person that was, you know, bordering on the 25 or 24 age bracket, you would see someone who's 26 or 27 kind of already anticipating and telling that 25-year-old that in a year you will know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And this statement itself kind of really pushes a lot of buttons when someone is 19, just starting out, you know, fresh with life, wants to to devour the entire life that is coming up against them. It's a little patronizing. It's a little patronizing, and it it does trigger that that, that feeling. You Mm -hmm. know, you internalize it. However, it's more of, you know, that 27-year-old is trying to find someone that will understand what they have experienced, what he or she has just gone through, or that what we call the shattered belief system. Right. You know, you you set out your entire life trying to get to X, Y, or Z, and then you realize that most of this is out of your control. So what do you decide to do with that? Yeah. You either become hopeless about it or you realize that you're helpless about it, but you want to keep dreaming big and you want to try to achieve it at the best of mm-hmm. your ability. Um, but yeah, there is this spillover between 
those that are on the the upper end of the youth in terms of the age yeah. and those that are on the lower end there is some sort of intergenerational conflict between them and a push and pull mm-hmm. like you do see someone who's 27 trying to convince someone who's 19 right. that you know in five years time you will also be as pragmatic right as i am for because example. they're not Uh, very far removed from exactly. being in the lower brackets of this youth categorization. Exactly. Um, but I, another issue that I wanted to touch upon and that's very relevant today is also the demoralization that came yeah. after the uprising uh, and the mobilizations that erupted last October. Um, how do you think uh, those events affected Uh, the youth category specifically, considering that they had been dealing with a lot of the challenges that we're seeing today in the crisis, even before all of this yeah. began, we had been hearing of like skyrocketing youth unemployment rates, yeah. like It's in 2017, worse. 18, yeah. and even before that. So what do you make of like the current context and the effects that these mobilizations have had on the youth? The, the October Revolution really seemed like a ray of hope for and it felt like a podium for the youth to actually excel right we um, as researchers or policymakers, um, there's always this criticism about how apathetic the youth are or apolitical they are and it so happened that on in october the youth kind of proved everyone wrong and that i think created a sense of solidarity that never really existed within our time at least And that sense of solidarity after a month, two, three, four, five, was suddenly crushed because, again, someone or an entity or a political system highlighted to, to these youth that you still have one boulder after another to get through before you get to what you want, which is really a basic lifestyle, basic living conditions, uh, proper services that you pay for, that you suffer for. Uh, within the country and so the level of demoralization that you're talking about increased dramatically in the past two or three months uh, with the corona lockdown COVID-19 lockdown as well um, from the networks of therapists that I know and psychologists and mental health experts there was a spike in youth members needing mm-hmm. some sort of support to try to understand one what do they do with these ambitions now two What do they do with the fact that they don't identify with certain mobilization styles that certain friends or, or colleagues or students that they know went mm-hmm. with? So it's kind of like there was a fog and it was lifted between and after the October uh, yeah. revolution. And now it almost feels like, you know, it's every man for himself right. or every person for themselves, the sense of collectivity that we used to talk about that we used to revere no longer exists at the moment because the youth already had a million other things to worry about and now they are completely pushed away to the corner they're not important as you said we had already heard that in 2017 there were high rates of unemployment 2018 as well and now it's just going to get worse and worse and no one is talking about it no one is putting practical plans on it no one is thinking about a young individual that has just finished studying for five years, paying for tuition without having the money to pay for it, and now graduating this summer, let's say, and knowing that they have to be yet again patient until they find a job and they can actually start building their future. 
I think that leads me to my next question, because all these things that we've outlined from the pandemic to the economic crisis to the aftermath of the revolution, um, these are really anxiety inducing, like during those yeah. times. And uh, as someone who's an expert on mental health, um, how are the youth differently affected from everything that's going on today? Um, and what are some common misconceptions or mistakes that you see take place uh, when dealing with the youth's mental health? Um, and how can they be supported effectively? Listen, the mental health has been progressing slowly, but it has been progressing um, on different levels in Lebanon, but it's not enough. And so this population that is very young, that needs a lot of proper guidance, that needs a lot of support, is being kind of hung in air, in the, in, in the midst of the air and you know, just struggling on their own. Um, the revolution, the uncertainty of the future, all of this, the learned helplessness that some of them feel when one time after another their their dreams are shattered is not good for them. And you see that there are a lot of maladaptive behavior. Either you have excessive drinking or you have um, even speed driving and driving very quickly, unsafely. There are a lot of reckless behavior that the youth are engaging in because there's a sense of turmoil and instability that is really destabilizing them. And with the, with the lockdown and the, the repression that happened during the revolution, um, there was a spike in anxiety, you could feel it. But what do you make of that if you do not have a narrative on mental health in the country, when mental health is still being shamed, when suicide is still being shamed, when even bullying, is a taboo topic. You do not call right. out a bully. You you basically just run away from it, right? And then if if you still have these uh, systemic norms, even gender norms, like the boy should not cry, mm. then you are basically repressing all of the emotions that should be unfolding. I'm not saying that mental health is the only way to go, but there are a lot of studies and there is a lot of support, empirical support, about how effective it is to catch these young individuals head on even mm -hmm. in proper schools where you have some sort of just you know school guidance and career guidance as long as they're qualified and there's good oversight on it it can help the a young individual in developing the the thought pattern that will lead them to the words reaching and achieving their goals and ambitions so there is no support on that in in lebanon you don't see a billboard on the highway unless it's you know, rented out by an NGO from funds that they, right. that, that are so rare to find, you do not see any messaging from the government for young individuals or older individuals even that also need this type of mental health support to seek mental health, to, to remove the taboo element from it. Mm -hmm. You do not see any health insurance plans that include any mental health support. Right. And yet you have people that are having panic attacks and thinking that it's a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And then you go to a medical professional or a doctor and they also dismiss what you are feeling or there's a culture of over-medication. So there is, there's a lot of uh, pressure on talking and sharing and exchanging. And with, with an entity like the youth that are so sociable, open to experiences, if you don't let the let the ideas flow, the mental process itself becomes rigid or it can go into a cyclical path or mm -hmm. you internalize things that are not your own or you project 
beyond yourself and you project on people and it's very limiting. Um, the revolution brought about another layer, even those that were not yet thinking about the financial pressure because they didn't have to maybe at the age of 18, they were just starting out, are now aware of how much financial pressure and how much economic pressure and political pressure the future holds. Yeah, and I think a very common misconception regarding seeking therapy is this idea that how much is it able to help or is it really going to be able to resolve a lot of those issues that seem related to tangible material realities when in reality it's dismissing the importance of developing the coping mechanisms needed exactly. to, to deal with all of this because exactly. it's impossible to actually be able to move uh, forward and to um, overcome the challenges that are adding up if we are not able to deal with all the anxieties and exactly. the pressures that these lead to. Um, so it's very much rooted in the, a lack of awareness or lack of ed- education surrounding this topic. Exactly. And also, even among yeah, the youth are more, are becoming a bit more open about certain things, but um, they're not taking initiative in it. They're ba- basically being reactionary towards it. So if they have a panic attack once, twice, three times, someone points it out to them and then pushes them. And then maybe after a year, they will sign up to a therapy session or try to seek some sort of help or support but if you add another layer to it it's nearly impossible for a young individual that is getting minimum wage if at all getting minimum wage to be able to afford therapy sessions at the moment good therapy sessions with proper oversight and proper accountability where there is no abuse of power where they are actually getting a proper experience It's extremely rare to find a list of those psychologists. I mean, the Lebanese Psychological Association is trying its best and they are putting some mechanisms into play, but um, the the culture surrounding mental health is still very limited. And it uh, it is a very solitary process. You know, you have a lot of people that go and seek therapy and never share it or exchange it with other people. Mm -hmm. So basically, they're not able to explain to their friends why they're feeling on one day down or they're feeling good or they're feeling powerful. But as you said, it's mainly to be able to provide the youth with the proper tools to be able to cope with all of the intricacies and the complexities of Lebanon. And this doesn't, this is not just about their educational track or their career track. We're talking about the internalized traumas that they have inherited from their parents. We're talking about the intergenerational gap between someone and their siblings and how they have had different levels of experiences, they have different goals, they have a different approach to life. So that needs a lot more work, it needs a lot of support, it needs someone to take it seriously at the beginning, mm-hmm. before it can really be tightened, because at the moment it's a very individual choice that someone does. We have not normalized seeking therapy, talking to someone, we have not normalized sharing without feeling shame sharing that I am feeling dazed and confused, sharing that I am feeling helpless, sharing that I am feeling not so motivated to finish my degrees or, you know, seeking higher education or sharing the fact that you have missing skills on how to apply to a job, for example. All of these language, communication, all of these still need to be worked on. Yeah, and verbalizing those things can go a long way and even helping us understand ourselves better and putting them out there makes a huge difference between uh, versus repressing them and having having them emerge in other ways. Um, So a lot of those goals and ambitions that you've outlined, 
a lot of them require some form of financial stability. And we've talked about how the whole financial situation right now is one of the major sources of those anxieties, especially on the youth. Um, so what can you tell us about the challenges that the youth are facing today in navigating the economy and the labor markets more specifically? Uh, what types of resources or services or reforms could help the youth during these really difficult times? The financial situation is hitting everyone very hard uh, at the moment. And as I said, the youth are very much on the sidelines because there's always something that's more important to deal with, right? Or there's always a pop segment of the population that needs our attention right now. And so um, the youth normally and naturally will be relying on whatever contacts they have at the moment. I'm not talking about political contacts or religious contacts uh, or leaders in that sense, but they will try to rely on the networks. And those that have a social support network, a group of friends, variety of friends from different areas, from different countries, their opportunities look a little bit better than those that have two or three options or openings right now because the opportunities are going to be very, very, very dim and not everyone is able to switch into another field right now or to learn a different expertise. Each person has their own capacities and there are boundaries to that, capa to that capacity and how much it can morph and how quickly it can morph. And in a situation like this where we are nearing a famine and we are nearing, a, it is already a complete economic collapse, but we are it's still going to get worse before it starts getting better. Um, there is no practical policy or national program that is accounting for this. There is no unemployment scheme. There is no protection for uh, youth that are unemployed that are seeking employment or, or that are seeking employment in the NGO sector, for example, because they just want a certain you know, social services or they want, uh, sorry, social security, I mean, or they need uh, some sort of insurance or they need to just make ends meet. So there is no subsidization for consultants. Uh, there are no uh, protection mechanisms for those that work day to day, that get a daily salary. We're talking about a large segment of the population that works in the transportation industry, that works, they are industrialists, uh, uh, people that work in crafts, handcrafts, wood or ceramics or all of these, these are all extremely important. So yeah, on that note, and as you were saying, a big portion of this youth are trained. They have, whether in the industrial sector or have been working in mm -hmm. the food and beverage industry or whatnot. Um, so during this time where the economic opportunities are so limited, mm -hmm. a lot of those educated youth are having to maybe reassess or trying to shift career path, maybe try to acquire new skills. At the same time, there's a lot of talk regarding needing to move away from a rentier economy into a more productive one that yeah. like gives more importance to those productive sectors. So how do you see this dilemma playing? And do we need the economy to adapt to the existing human capital? Or is it about the youth being flexible and changing to new positions? Or is it a mix of both? Ideally, ideally... Um if you want to be resourceful, then the economy should kind of adapt to what it already has and cut the losses short and basically try to figure out programs where the other disciplines or fields can fit and be productive. A productive economy would require all hands on deck. Um, practically speaking, 
again, it's every man for himself in this context right now. It's a survival of the fittest and it's a, it's a fight or flight type of thing. So those that want to keep on fighting and have the resources to do so are going to try to crawl their way back out of the pit. And other people might just decide to be avoidant about it and decide that, you know, I've dedicated 10 years of my life trying to get somewhere and now I'm 10 steps back and I've just decided to just change course altogether. Um, but, I mean, the economy is hit in specifically in places where the youth benefit the most. So the food and beverage service uh, and the industry itself, the youth heavily rely on it as an initial entry point into the labor market. That and day-to-day jobs tutoring, teaching, all of these things, um, you have a very wide population of the youth that works in audiovisual and media communication and all of these things that require a lot of capital, require um, people wanting to invest. And we already had an issue with youth being underpaid or some youth being overpaid because of clientelistic reasons or because of a different division of capital. And so now it just feels that there are going to be larger ramifications and more corruption on that end yeah so uh, on this note and the inability of really the state or because of the situation to adapt to the needs of the youth and to their specific skill sets uh, it feels like they're faced with this dilemma of either having to struggle and finding a way to build a life for themselves under those realities in lebanon or to actually look elsewhere and making, I think that this decision to actually realize that there's a different path outside of the country that has a big effect on the self their self-identification Absolutely. and how they see their own positionality within this country. Yeah. Um, the emigration is a huge um, it's a huge step and yeah and it's a huge issue right now being debated saying that this is the next crisis right that exactly. we still haven't experienced because of the lockdown and whatnot um can you talk a bit about this and tell us where do you see this uh, topic fitting in within the near future of the youth many many stakeholders have been asking me in the past couple of weeks what can we do to keep the youth here and I advised them, basically, that, you know, if a youth member comes to me and asks me about the potential ways of leaving the country, I will not stand in their way with the fake promises that things will be better within the next 10 years, because obviously they won't be. Um, the issue of immigration will be happening globally. It's not just going to be um in Lebanon, we're experiencing this in several different countries. Many different people are leaving also because of how their governments or their, their, you know, their political leaders have dealt with the COVID lockdown, have dealt with um, the societies and how they've cared for them or failed to do so in certain cases. And so on one level, the youth are burnt out. Fundamentally, we talked about the mental health issues, we talked about the identity construction, and they're not being given the right amount of time to experience what they're supposed to be experiencing during this time. So you feel that, you know, someone who's 24 uh, feels like they give a 31 vibe, you know, someone that has lived through certain experiences. Not that someone who's 31 should have more experiences, but uh, 
they're seeing way too much way too soon and at our age we're supposed to be experiencing something else right like our biggest concern should be i forgot to put gas in my car not there is no gas in the country and therefore i will my car right. will break down so yeah. these little stressors day-to-day stressors really get to you and funnily enough the other day i was having a conversation with someone who fundamentally loves this country and is becoming bitter towards the fact that he had some sort of love towards the country and he said that i want to immigrate because i want my biggest stress in life to be that i don't have enough ingredients to make shortbread at my house i want to live a life of simplicity i want to you know just go and do a little service get something from the bank go to the supermarket and everything is just laid out so it's almost like they want to give up for Mm -hmm. that they want another system that just decides how quickly they move on into something and it's a level of comfort that they're not even getting on this here yeah and i guess to put it simply they want a reality where their basic social and economic rights are being respected that are being respected, which would give them more room to actually think about who they want to be. Right, exactly. Which is, you know, there is a sort of unfinalized self that the youth experience, and they're always constantly trying to find something. Mm -hmm. And at the very end of it, you know, what we can extract from these workshops that we've done is that when that process of seeking yourself is done, is when you can theoretically say that you have crossed over from the youth category into adulthood because you are no longer searching for the true, genuine, authentic self. You are searching for what this self will be giving into the world, what this self, how it will manifest, Mm -hmm. which activities, what type of lifestyle, what type of environment you want to be surrounded in. And that requires a certain intersectional, integrated, and well-thought-out environment that is also comforting and um, fruitful for such a concept or process well i guess to end on a bit more positive note we realize today that lebanon is go is entering this transition phase where it's still not clear what's going to emerge from it but we know that from the ashes of this system that has proven to be inherently unsustainable something else is going to emerge and the youth are definitely going to be play a big part in shaping what that is Um, So I guess the hope lies in having something that comes afterwards that is able to either make sure that the youth stays or that the ones that have left have something to come back to. Absolutely. Um, So uh, I guess, is there anything else you wanted to add on this topic? I just think, I mean, just to lighten the mood at the very end, um, the youth will always manage. But right, right, right now, they're completely burnt out. And, you know, if you give them a break for a month, you give them one little thing, they'll be back in the driver's seat, they'll be back, you know, spearheading everything uh, to, to create that change. But when, you f- when someone who's young feels that the person in front of them is not listening or hearing them out, then they're just going to go on and do something else. Yeah. Um, but... I do have trust that a very big segment of the youth is still willing and able um, to fight and to resist. And maybe they can be the shield as well for those that are burnt out so that we can keep up with them at the very end. Yeah, I guess that's why a lot of people associate the sense of hope for the future and the youth because there's they're probably the bracket in society that's most capable of withstanding those blows. They're the buffer at the very end. 
All right. Well, I guess we're done for today. So I want to thank you very much, Carol, for all your insights. Um, thank you to the listeners for tuning in. If you want to let us know your thoughts, what you thought of this episode, you can reach us on our social media pages. Uh, on Twitter, our handle is at LCPS Lebanon. We'll be back very soon with a new episode. Take care.